I think that the system is deeply broken at every level. Um, I think we're um, producing food in a way that is detrimental to the planet. It's detrimental to the farmer. It's detrimental to the health of the population. Welcome to Croptastic, the Interplant Podcast, where your hosts, Shelly Arano of Marta Buliak and Sean Yokomizo, explore the global future of agriculture and food. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is the first episode that we're hosting. I'm Shelly Arano from Interplant, and our first guest is Rich Evers, who is, um, I believe, a five-time founder and a regenerative farmer. And we happened to have met uh, about a year ago when COVID hit. We we're both at a panel for the GSB, the Stanford Business School. We both went there in different years. And um, we had a really fascinating conversation about the impact of COVID on the agricultural supply chain. And I think, Ridge, that we both agreed at the time that the agricultural supply chain is going to be fine. But what do we actually do about the future of agriculture is a different question. Um, and we invited you here today so we can have a conversation about what that looks like and what, you know, what needs to change, what's great, what's not so great, and so on. Well, thank you for having me. I am, uh, as you know, I am a huge fan of Interplant, and I think that uh, a lot of what the future of agriculture looks like is already in your vision. So um, I'm, I'm uh, really happy to be part of this. Just by way of background, Ridge, how did you get into farming? Um, completely accidentally. I was, um, was living in San Francisco. I have, my family has no background in farming. I, you know, when I grew up, everything I ate came either wrapped in plastic or frozen in the suburbs. Um, but I was uh, living in San Francisco and my wife and I were starting to have kids and we wanted our kids to understand the country. And so we started looking for a place outside of San Francisco where we could go on weekends and we found uh, the property that's now uh, the home farm in 1982, right when I graduated from the GSB, actually. Um, and uh, and I just fell in love with it. And uh, it very quickly became my home. And I stayed uh, active in tech. I'm still very active in tech. Uh, but I became a farmer. And um, literally, you know, I kind of learned by jumping out of the airplane with a silkworm. It's been... Uh, a fascinating experience and incredibly rewarding. So, Rich, let me jump in because I'm I'm curious because I know that you're a farmer, but you're also a regenerative farmer. Farmer, and I have no idea what that is. So, can you tell me like what that what that is, what that means? Sure. Um, you know, the word regenerative is a, is a really unfortunate word because it's never going to make it into the mainstream. I don't think because it's just too hard. It's a mouthful. Um, but it it really is. It exists in opposition. Um, to the fact that most agriculture, and by most I mean, you know, functionally, asymptotically approaching 100%, is depleted. It depletes the soils, it depletes the environment, it's extractive, and the whole idea behind regenerative agriculture is that it does the opposite of that. And uh, so a form of regenerative farming would be organic farming. Unfortunately, in the U.S., the word organic has a very different meaning than it does in the rest of the world, and it's much less strict in the U.S. than it is in the rest of the world. Uh, and I fell on a, a mode of farming called biodynamics that um, is actually, I think, the, the best form of regenerative farming. It, it uh, is something that looks at the farm as a living organism and focuses on that health rather than on the health of the crop. 
And um, it's been, to be perfectly candid, Sean, it's been, I feel incredibly lucky because I've learned so much more about how to run an organization from being a farmer than I have about being a farmer from running organizations. Um, it's just been awesome. That's great. So what, like, help me out with that. What, what do you mean when you've learned more from farming about running organizations? Um, the whole, you know, so the, the, the big idea in biodynamic farming is this concept of the farm as a living organism. And so you focus on, on the whole rather than on the parts. Um, and you focus on the intentional parts and also the wild parts. Um, and you focus on the farm workers and, um, and you, you literally think about the, you know, on one level, the objective of a farm is to produce a crop, right? And, uh, if you were, if you were, you know, writing a business case, you would structure it that way. You would say, here are the inputs, here are the outputs, the inputs cost X, the outputs were worth Y and we made a profit or we made a loss. Um, regenerative farming takes into account, um, certainly that, but also the long-term impact of what you're doing and the long-term health of the entire system. And so you make decisions that are, um, it, it causes you to make decisions that are longer term in nature and more holistic in nature um, just by virtue of, of how you frame the questions. I don't know if that helps Got you. It. Yeah, kind of a longer view. Yes, but not just longer, also um, realizing that uh, you know, there's a wonderful, I think, Kenyan, but I've heard other sources proverb that says, you inherit your land from your parents and you borrow it from your children. And, Ooh, I like that. and to think about it in that way, really, at least for me, has caused me to think differently about the decisions I make and how I, um, from as simple as what do we do, you know, this week to, okay, what's our 10-year plan? Rich, um, since, you know, the focus of what we talk about usually is uh, large-scale agriculture, right? Yeah. Soybeans, corn, cotton. And at the end of the day, we always think about where most of the acres and where's most of the impact eventually. What do you think are, you know, I'll ask a tough question, but it's going to help us kind of move towards the future. Do you think our system is currently sustainable? And what, depending on the answer, what do you think works and what do you think doesn't work and needs to change? Um, well, that's not a tough question for me, and I'm, uh, the, and I think it's one of the things that attracted me to Interplant when you and I first connected. Um, I think that the system is deeply broken at every level. Um, I think we're um, producing food in a way that is detrimental to the planet. It's detrimental to the farmer. It's detrimental to the health of the population, and um, you know it's a um, it's a cantilever. And the problem with cantilever structures is at a certain point, they collapse under their own weight and the failure mode is catastrophic. And I think we are dancing along the edge of catastrophic failure when it comes to agriculture. Um, you know, what we have done in the last, you can probably give me the number better than I can, but let's call it 70 years since 1950 is absolutely horrifying. Um, and we've done it all in order to, um, you know, basically make, uh, concentrate profits from the growing of food. And, uh, you know, the, the, I, I love the data, the research that you've done. Um, it, I, when I talk about what you guys are doing, this is how I sum it up. I say, you know, this, in the U S 
the, the value of farm crops is $200 billion a year. There's another $40 billion of crop that's lost. And on top of that, there's $40 billion spent on prophylactic applications of chemicals and, and uh, pesticides and herbicides and so forth. So there's an $80 billion hole in a $200 billion market. That's wrong, just on the surface of it. If I knew nothing other than the numbers, I would say that's a broken market and it is a broken market. Yeah, I guess what comes to mind always, and obviously I have an idea about the answer to this, but it's like, how do we get here? Right. Because I do think the there were always good intentions. Yes. So how did we get here? Why did we get here? And how do we get to the next level? Which um, for the people that don't really know what we're discussing is how do we make it so that the plants are part of the equation? And in a way, a bridge between regenerative farming with the what we usually think about the opposite side, genetic engineering. But how do we bring to a holistic system where the soil, the plants and the actions that we take all work together. That's, that is a right question, Shelley. Um, and it's not all science, unfortunately. The science part we got, right? But there's other, yeah. there's other things. Well, you know, we got here, um, honestly, the U.S. drove this, certainly. Um, and in the U.S., you need to look at the Farm Bill, uh, which has heavily subsidized the big five crops, and made it very attractive to farm those at tremendous scale as though um, it were just a giant factory with very little attention paid to the um, off balance sheet cost and off P&L cost of the methods that we've been using. And we've literally squandered massive amounts of soil, let's just start there, with the farming methods that we've chosen. And we've, and we've constantly been trying to produce more from less. And we've been doing that by increasing the inputs. Um, and we've developed, we've, we've fallen into this kind of vicious cycle where, um, you know, it's like you're working for the company store, right? You, you never pay off your debt to the company store. It's structured that way. So you get your seeds from someone who is selling a genetically modified seed that will tolerate the pesticide or the herbicide that you need to use to control the weeds. And that comes from the same vendor. And so you're, I mean, you're just locked into this thing where the profits are getting siphoned away from the farmer, which means farmers fail, which means then the land is still there, but that land gets aggregated into larger and larger blocks. And that then gets, uh, so we've moved away from farming as a, as a hands-on thing into this uh, highly mechanized, uh, which is not necessarily bad, although the way we do it is bad. It's right, I was going to say, we need the mechanization, right? Yeah. We need to grow it because we are going to constantly feed more people. We have people so, to feed. So the real question I think that you're trying to get at is, how do we meet the demand for food in a way that is, in fact, uh, more profitable for the farmer, more profitable for the consumer, and more profitable for the environment. And I think that the answer to that is exactly what you guys have developed. You know, the, the way that we farmed for 10,000 years, which is about how far back farming putatively goes, has, has ultimately not changed. You, you put a seed in the ground, you cross your fingers, 
you do some stuff in the hopes of fending off bad things to come. And at the end, you harvest whatever it is that you planted and you hope there's enough of it to offset your costs. And the thing that has been absent in that process for 10,000 years is the plant itself. Because by the time we as humans, as farmers are able to understand that there's a problem in our field, it's too late to correct it. And I think the genius of what you guys have come up with is a mechanism that allows the plant to be present in the conversation early enough so that if something is going wrong, we can correct it. We can take corrective action before it's fatal. And that means that absolves the, uh, the need to spend so much on prophylactic applications that in many cases just aren't necessary, but they could be necessary. And the risk if we didn't do them would be fatal. So we do these things. Okay, if we can dial that back, if we can um, use uh, mechanization coupled with robotics, coupled with sensor technology to be able to actually start farming individual plants intelligently based on their needs, that is truly completely revolutionizing the whole model for farming in incredibly positive ways. Yeah, it's uh, one of the things that always gets me is that it's all about risk management, right? And it seems when we look at some of the research um, that we do, right? And we see that usually when um, there was a disease and then there was a pesticide, yep. the benefits of not having the disease, the yield loss that was recovered, is actually usually transferred to the pesticide application. Exactly, cost. exactly. But but I think something that we need to make clear is that it's not the same value because having a cost on your PL that you already know of and have been spending for 20 years is very different than having the risk of devastation. So we are on the safe side, mm -hmm. right? And the system has to change through data. And I think it's, uh, again, one of those toxic words, but it's kind of... It's never been done before for a reason. Everything that's been done previously was always about either increasing yields through genetics or resistance to something. And yeah. never through this idea of um, how do we measure so we can improve. And it's going to be in many, many ways. Some of them kind of hard to explain still. Right. But I think that the, the um, you know, it's like we've been operating in a two-dimensional environment and we're at, we're suddenly adding a third dimension. And um and that third dimension is the, is the plant itself, which then opens up an entire, I mean, I think one of the cool things about this, as you suggest, the, the, the ability for the plants to convey to the farmers, here's what I need, here's what we need, first of all, at the field level, and then ultimately here's what I need as a plant, is truly transformational in ways that we're, we can conject. And I think there are some really exciting things that are obvious. But what's going to be really fascinating is watching all the stuff that's non-obvious that comes up as a result of this. Yeah, I agree with you. I think in many ways we we always wonder about the the different initiatives. Uh, so soil is obviously very important, and soil has become a huge initiative. But in many ways, it's always I always go back to the same conclusion, which is you cannot improve what you cannot measure. And we cannot measure anything in agriculture today, right? Everything is done on such a tiny scale. That was for me one of the most shocking uh, things I've learned on this on this journey is that 
everything we've ever done as we farmed 1.8, I believe, billion hectares of land has been trialed on a few small plots. And mm. through that data, we have to believe the results that we see. The reality is that um, those results can never actually represent reality. They only represent a very anecdotal point of view. So how does how do you think about um, how do you think about all the different initiatives that are going to happen? Unless we can actually collect the right data on scale, how do we navigate this? Well, again, I think I think you know this is you and I have talked about this. I think that that the the true enabling technology here is giving the farmer data about his or her farm and his or her field and about his or her plants on a plant by plant basis. And, and I would say that, that, um, you know, that that's the thing that's transformational. Everything else hangs off of that. Um, I think I would also say that while I agree with you in, in general, um, you can't fix what you can't measure. There actually are some things where our tendency to measure has proven detrimental. For example, the whole idea of farming based on nitrogen, potassium, and phosphate came from um, some research in Germany in the uh, 19th century that where they concluded that those are the only things that plants needed. And we started looking at a very complex problem in a very simplistic way. And it turns out that the use of those things and the way that we've been using them ends up actually destroying the microbiology in the soil, which we can't measure. And we, God help us if we try to understand it. Um, but we can see that it's dying out. We can see that the diversity is going away, that the number of um, uh, microorganisms is going down. Um, but the um, but we don't know how to farm microbiology. And I don't think we need to in order to be successful. What we need to do is understand how to do as little as possible and facilitate nature doing what she intrinsically does, which is grow stuff. No, I tend to agree. I think it's, uh, but it, but it is everything in agriculture is about simplifying a very complex problem, right? Yes. So Reductive how does one? Its finest. <laughs> right, but then you know, even when we design our solutions, many times the questions is, you know, what are you going to detect? Well, the reality is that most people use broad range herbicides or sorry, broad range fungicides or broad range um, insecticides. So being more specific than that doesn't necessarily matter because the inputs are designed to only address general problems. Mm -hmm. So this will continue to be, how does one move from a system like that then? Um, the least amount of intervention, maybe. Well, don't, don't kill what's already natively in there and it's helpful. Because actually you benefit from what's already there. Right. Um, the, um, you know, wonderful, expression in gardening a weed is simply a plant in the wrong place the uh it's it's not entirely clear to me as a farmer that weeds are necessarily horrible things um and i can again i can stay on my own basis of my own experience which is very small scale I and mean, we have another project where we're starting to farm much larger scale but still relative to global agriculture um insignificant, um, we have found that by um, accepting the, um, the native plants uh, that, are, that want to be where we're growing, we can still grow um, our crops 
and um, and 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 coexist. Um, and so, if you you know, if you, you know, farmers farmers get a bad rap. Um, they are they are not stupid. Um, they're always tired, um, but they're not stupid, and they understand math. And so, um, you know, helping them see, hey, here's a way. Getting back to the, what we talked about at the beginning, the two hundred billion dollars plus forty billion plus forty billion. Hey, here's a way to structurally improve your returns. That'll get their attention. And then I don't know any farmer who isn't, um, at heart, also an environmentalist. Of course. Uh, and because they're working with the land, that's what they've chosen to do with their lives. And so, to be able to say to them, there's an added benefit. It's not a primary objective, but it's a side benefit that your farm will become healthier. And the thing that you want to leave to your children will become you know, ever more viable by virtue of changing the way you're farming at the same time that you're also making a higher return. Um, I think it's a math problem at the farmer level. Yeah, it's interesting. I would have been shocked by what you said about uh, weeds, but I've heard this before. There's research now coming from Europe saying that you leave a little bit of weeds, it creates biodiversity. There's a lot of benefits. Huge. Right. So, but that's, I mean, eventually what we're going to say is um, there's going to be a paradigm shift. And at the end of the day, I think there is no better stewards of the land than the farmers, but they're limited on some of the tools that are provided to them. So we need to start focusing on the tools provided and create more, more optionality within the systems that work well. And then bring some of this new, there's going to be just new trends that emerge, right? It's been a long time that weeds have been a terrible thing. Can you imagine in 10 years having some weeds in the field and thinking that's great? Biodiversity. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and again, you know, I, you, you heard me say this, but I, I love the fact that it turns out that, that everything you see above the ground is a lagging indicator of the vitality of the soil below. Yeah. And, well, always, and, <laughs> the, the plants are basically soil sensors. Right. Exactly. And uh, and so, you know, whatever we and, and nature, nature kind of spent, I don't know, several billion years figuring out microbiology and you know dynamic systems that support life. And, um, you know, the closer we can get to that, it's kind of Aikido rather than the, uh, the boxing model that we've been using. Um, I think the more successful ultimately we'll, we will be not just here in the U.S., but everywhere. And that's how you then get at a whole lot of problems, including producing healthier food. Rich, thanks for your, thanks for your time today. This has been amazing. Super. I just felt like Marty and I were talking offline and we, we feel like our IQ has gone up by about 50 points just listening to you guys here. <laughs> I almost want to be a farmer. And I think there's a fair, I think we did actually, we literally got into the weeds. That's my favorite part of this podcast is that we literally got into the weeds. <laughs> and we could actually say that. We could actually say that. Yep. Join us in the weeds this week. Yeah. And that's our show for this episode. Thank you again to Ridgely Evers for joining us today. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And please share any feedback you might have with us via LinkedIn, our Twitter account at inner underscore plant, or of course, in the comments section. Thanks for listening.